Faithside Podcast. My name is Tyler Bublitz, and welcome back to the 10th Sunday after Pentecost for the week of August 6th, 2023, and I'm excited to have you here. I'm excited to dig into this week's podcast, and I'm excited that we are entering into August. It's amazing how fast here in the Northern Hemisphere summer seems to be fleeting, and yet when we look at this, I really do enjoy these Pentecost days as we continue to grow, as we continue to be challenged. There's definitely some challenging things in the text this week, and I think that's what's encouraging, what's interesting, and what makes it fun. Having challenges and being able to work through them and dig through them, and that's one of the things I think that's beautiful about science, but it's also beautiful within the faith. This continued idea of being able to grow and figure out ways to continue to grow. And it's hard sometimes. It's easier other times. There's times where we stumble and fall back. And it's one of those things that we have to just keep on working, just like any relationship. You have to keep on working. So let's just jump into the question from last week. What are things we overlook that become beautiful later? One of them, I got a beautiful story from a loyal listener talking about how Initially, this person wasn't much of a kid person, but after having kids and designing some things and taking these kids out on rides on a homemade three-wheeler and sleigh, it was one of the things that was a defining moment for him in being one of these people who just absolutely loves kids and became a magnet both ways for them to be able to enjoy the presence of each other. And I think in a lot of ways, there's a lot of things like that where in our lives, it's very easy for us to overlook relationships in general. I think within people, I think sometimes even within nature, I think it's one of the things that we're wrestling with as a society is that we're trying to figure out how do we balance all these things together and trying to figure out how does that work. And in doing that, it makes it difficult at times, but I think the value of being able to understand that everyone is important is an important lesson that we all need to learn and we all need to work on and continue to work on. It's not an easy one. So let's just jump into the text this week. One of the alternative Old Testament readings this week is out of Genesis chapter 32 verses 22 to 31. This is where Jacob is on the run from his brother Esau and he wrestles with God all night long. And doesn't necessarily recognize it's God right away, but it's this moment where we get where Jacob just will not give up. And this is where Jacob's name gets changed to Israel by God, being that he prevailed and that he wasn't going to give up. Jacob asked for God's name. God says, why? I've already am blessing you, which is one of the things that Jacob was literally wrestling for was to be blessed. After this, Jacob then names the place Peniel, which means, for I have seen God face to face, and yet my life was preserved. And the sun rose as he passed Peniel, and he was limping at the hip, that his hip socket was out of joint. But this moment of not giving up, the perseverance that we see in Jacob now becoming Israel, that never give up on what you're going through. The psalm that goes with that is Psalm 17, verses 1 to 7 and verse 15. This is kind of plays into that same mentality that God hears those calls and hears our vindication, the crying of our heart, this trust that I will keep fighting and that God will 
hear my prayer. At some point, the steadfast love of the Savior will come in and hears me. And as for me, I shall behold your face in righteousness when I awake. I shall be satisfied beholding your likeness, coming from verse 15. This idea of fighting and fighting and fighting and God's face will be revealed. And thus, at that moment, the person is satisfied. The other alternative text this week, then, out of the Old Testament is out of Isaiah chapter 55, verses 1 to 5. This is after the fall of Israel, and this is when they're trying to slowly invite back, invite to have this meal, but that this is something that is more than just a meal, that we're going to be inclining our ear and trusting in the Lord, even though right now things are kind of chaotic and crazy, that the steadfast love that God has for not only us, but the nations as a whole will be toward God and recognizing that in all of this, that God is still going to be glorified. It's an interesting text, but it's also this reminder again, even in these moments where things seem dark, things seem like we should be turning against someone, this is a moment where, no, God is calling us all back in and that this is all working for God's betterment. The psalm that goes with that is Psalm 145, verses 8 and 9 and 14 through 21. This starts off in a very familiar place. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all and his compassion is over all that he has made. This idea that God has compassion, this idea that God is instant amongst us and is going through all these trials and stuff with us, but also then is trying to call us into truth and guide us and lead us to where we need to be. And that concludes here in verse 21 that we are then singing praise to God because of what God has done. The epistle text or New Testament text this week is out of Romans chapter 9, the first five verses of it. This is a bit of a complicated, hard text to kind of get into, and it's one of the things where working through Working Preacher this week and getting some ideas, there's still a lot of questions that a lot of biblical scholars have about this text. But it's this idea of how Paul is recognizing in being led by the Spirit, there are still times that he has messed up and that he hasn't been as good as what he is now seeing that he should be. And in this case, there's a lot of assumptions as you're looking in verses 3 through 5 that he's talking a lot about the Jewish faith community and not necessarily welcoming them in, even though that they would still technically be part of the tribe of Israel, even though they aren't necessarily understanding who God is at this point. And so it's this point of being more welcoming and working with the people who are seeing things differently. So not necessarily just welcoming you in just type of thing, but working with them, walking with them, being with them, and understanding that process, and in that, letting the Spirit guide. The Gospel text this week is out of Matthew chapter 14, verses 13 to 21. This is a fairly familiar text. It's one of these that's in all four Gospels, which is very few. 
but it's the feeding of the 5,000. So according to Matthew's account, Jesus has kind of been withdrawn and has been doing some stuff by himself. But when the crowds heard word of him, they're kind of gathering around. He has been around them all day. He goes to a deserted place at a late hour, but the crowds need to go and get food. So Jesus gets asked, should we send these people away so that they can go get food from his disciples? He's like, no, we will give them something to eat. They respond with, the only thing we have is five loaves and two fish. They bring him to him. He blesses it. He tells the crowd to sit down. They start distributing. And when they pick up the pieces afterwards, there are 12 baskets full of leftovers. And that was then the feeding of the 5,000 besides the women and children. So there's even probably more people there. So there's this abundance that is left over. So before we jump into how faith and science come together this week, we do a shameless plug. Working Preacher, if you haven't checked out Working Preacher, I'd highly recommend it between their Sermon Brainwaves podcast, their commentaries, their discussions. Since I'm not an ordained minister, I use them on a weekly basis to help give me some direction for this podcast week after week. Heck, I've even brought them up in this podcast already, talking about how the commentaries have been helpful with the Romans text this week. So, if you haven't checked out WorkingPreacher.org, I'd highly recommend it. I'd also highly recommend checking out the Revised Common Lectionary coming from Vanderbilt's Divinity Library. I really enjoy not only how they lay out the text week to week, but the art, the hymns, the liturgical colors. There's a lot of great resources over there. And it's one of these things that I feel like if you haven't checked it out, it's really worth checking out and just seeing if you enjoy that. It's also really fun to being able to see the different alternative texts and laid out in such a beautiful way. So if you haven't checked out the Revised Common Lectionary coming from Vanderbilt's Divinity Library, I'd highly recommend that. Finally, I'd also highly recommend checking out the Green Blades Preaching Roundtable and the Green Blades Rising Publications. The links for these will be down in the show notes below. It's either a monthly newsletter or a weekly reflection thinking about how to bring ecological echoes, implications, and urgencies into your preaching week after week. Think about environmental stewardship, but in your commentaries for week after week as you're looking at these texts. If you're listening to this podcast, I'd highly recommend at least checking this stuff out. It's a great resource. I have found it extremely helpful, and it'll be one of the show notes down below. So if you haven't checked out the Green Blades Preaching Roundtable and the Green Blades Rising Publications, I'd highly recommend them. Abundance is a hard word sometimes for us to get our heads around. And especially when we look at Matthew's text and how rapidly the abundance is suddenly there, it gets to be an interesting way of looking at abundance. We also then have the fight of what it means to be blessed and fighting for that blessing and keep fighting and recognizing that God will show up coming from the Genesis text. Out of the Isaiah text, this idea of how God continues to provide even when things don't seem good at the moment. And yet then we have Paul kind of revising our vision to help us make sure that we're continuing to be critical of ourselves to be able to keep growing in the faith. A lot of weird territory to be getting into, but I think there is a fairly easy, understandable way of looking at this, and I'll give you a couple different examples of this, and I think partially why we as people struggle with this a little bit. So let's get into it. 
When you think of, say, a tomato or a strawberry, think about it in your mind for a moment. A tomato comes off a tomato plant, and a tomato plant has usually multiple tomatoes on it. But it comes from one stem, which means it came from most likely one seed initially growing that plant to grow not only one tomato, but multiple tomatoes. And inside each tomato is multiple seeds, multiple seeds, along with a fruit covering that is there not only to help protect the seeds, but also to give it some nutrients initially if it fell off the plant and was trying to grow on its own that it would have some nutrients right there to be able to start growing the plant. And we look at this in nature, there's a lot of ways that this happens. Even take something where you see one seed, like a peach, as a dope, as the category of fruit that it is. There's one seed inside of a peach, but again, it grows a large tree, which has hundreds of peaches on a mature tree thus having an abundance of fruit and abundance of seeds, recognizing that not probably all of them will be successful, but recognizing that if there's enough abundance here, the likelihood of it being able to spread and being able to grow goes up substantially. There is another more recent example of this, and I'm going to recommend a book that I went through in college, and I know I've talked about here on the podcast before, but it's The Secret Life of Lobsters. And part of that book is discussing in the late 90s, early 2000s, how the U.S. federal government was kind of in partnership working with the Canadian government, but was trying to make sure that the American lobster was going to be at a sustainable level. And they looked at the lobstermen and decided is this really a sustainable practice? And the whole book is kind of set up, and I heard it described as kind of a mystery novel. I'll attach a link to even a presentation that the author gave and how he wrote this book as he spent two years with lobstermen working on and understanding with the ins and out of what the scientists were doing and the lobstermen were doing. But this idea of how there was a push to try to increase the size that lobsters had to be in order to be harvested, where the lobstermen were saying, we already have a way of making a sustainable practice. Trust us, we are letting these lobsters get to a large enough size. So they have this gauge, which is measuring a specific spot, taking at the eye hole and then looking at this hard exoskeleton and making sure that it's three and one sixteenths inches long to be in order for it to be potentially harvestable, which typically what has happened to this point that that is like the beginning size of an adult lobster, that it is out of its puberty stages and it is becoming an adult, which at that point has gone through 25 molts to get to that point, which their whole molting process, I will just say, read up on it. It's pretty incredible. It includes parts of the anus need to be removed, parts of the throat need to be removed from its exoskeleton in order for it to keep shedding. Once it becomes an adult, they're more shedding more once, maybe twice a year. And so in that process, then they are become mature. But what is really interesting that the lobstermen have been doing since the 1950s, 
coming off of some stuff that they kind of ran into in the early 1900s when there was some harvesting of lobster eggs to be used as a delicacy over in western London, most matter of fact, it became a delicacy and they were noticing that a kind of a crash within the lobster population decided that wasn't a good idea. So what they decided to do was female lobsters who had evidence of that they were breeding would get a notch in their tail. So they cut a little notch in their tail. The beautiful thing with this is, is with how lobsters reproduce, the females have to have freshly molted in order for them to have eggs. And there's a whole section of how their whole mating ritual is quite unique. I'll let you read up on that. Again, it's in The Secret Life of Lobsters. But after they're molting and they take the male sperm and kind of fertilize their eggs, they kind of stick to the underside of the tail like a cement. And they will be there for nine months to a year, depending on the temperatures in the water, along with a couple other variables. But in that process, that means with them sticking to that adult lobster, when the young are all out and I've been detached from their mother, the mother is probably going to be going through a molt soon, which then actually gives the potential of that lobster being caught and actually harvested. But if there's any signs of it beginning to have that process of laying eggs or having eggs on it, they will notch it. And then that notch is going to be there through the whole process because it's after that they will shed their exoskeleton. So it's a brilliant, brilliant way of looking at it. The other thing that's fascinating about this is how the lobstermen have bought into this process because they're understanding that from two ways This is super important for them to help maintain their living for the long haul. One, they figure sacrificing one lobster or a couple of these lobsters that have eggs is not only setting them up for their future, but their kids' future and future lobstermen that there's going to be enough lobsters there. Why would I take one today when a lobster, even on the small side, can have upwards to 8,000 eggs on a lobster, and as they continue to get bigger through their reproduction years, on the far end can get upwards to 100,000 eggs to be able to reproduce lobsters and give the potential of these lobsters actually continuing to breed, which then means that these breeding females have some decent protection to make sure that they are protecting the species. So having the factor of allowing these lobsters to get bigger and bigger, these females that are breeding, and as long as they are continuing to breed, not being harvested, and allowing for them to actually really potentially support the population, but then also looking out for future lobstermen, I think, in a lot of ways, shows how the abundance of how this all works. Now, in the book, The Secret Life of Lobsters, they get into more how the government is constantly 
working with them and still having a lot of discussion and monitoring the situation quite closely. And yes, the American lobster is different than the European lobster, but that's a whole nother conversation for a whole nother day. But in doing this, it has allowed the sight and understanding from the federal government that at least at this point, that the lobstermen do have a decent pulse on what is going on and maintaining the population from what we can understand fairly well. And as they are continuing to do the science to back up this stuff more and more and more, the lobstermen have developed a sustainable process to be able to have lobsters, at least in their harvesting season, be sustainable. What does that all mean here when we're thinking about this type of stuff? Lobsters with having that many eggs know that they're not necessarily going to have them all survive. And we've talked about in the past that we are a case-selective species, meaning that our pregnancies are longer, more intense, and childbearing takes a lot more time, work, and effort. Thus, we are investing more into that individual, just like elephants. Comparing that to something like mice or rabbits that have a whole bunch when they have their young, and they mature quickly, and not as much is invested into them from the adults. There isn't as much necessarily that they need to learn initially to be able to be an adult, to be able to be successful. In this whole process, the disadvantage of us from what I can see with us being a K is sometimes it means that it's harder for us to see abundance. It's harder for us to be that trusting force to be able to give up abundance. When I think of the Matthew text here, In particular, you have someone bringing forth five loaves and two fish. Jesus blesses it and starts to distribute it among the people. And as we see this, and as we pick up from other gospels that it was potentially a young boy, I can almost hear the crowds suddenly saying, well, you know what? If he's giving up that, I can give up this and I can share this with the people here. Do you need something to eat? I have some additional here. How about you have some? And that's how we get the abundance at the end. It's recognizing the need and recognizing the care for others, looking beyond ourselves. But that doesn't mean that we just hide away in the corner. That takes work. That takes fight. That takes grit. That takes the trust in that, that God is going to be there. Just like we see Jacob, who becomes Israel, that fight of bless me, God, bless me, God, that I'm not going to let you go. This recognition that sometimes it takes a lot of work and effort to be able to do that. And I think sometimes it's very easy for us to overlook that. Even getting into how the Isaiah text is looking at things and recognizing that, yes, things are looking bad right now. Israel, how we've known it, the whole temple and everything has been destroyed. But yet God is still going to be there and work through this and God is still calling us to come back. Look, trust, be part of this. And Paul calling out in Romans that as we are part of the group of Christians doesn't mean that we are suddenly immune from this. It means that we need to continue to share the abundance and be critical of ourselves on how we can share that abundance effectively making sure that we are distributing it well. We are obsessed with return. 
as people because we have been trained as a case-selected species that we invest a lot, so then we should get something out of it. And I think there is a point where that is important. But I think God is also calling us into there is an element of faith that needs to come in. There is an element of, yes, I can give this up and trust that God is going to do more with it than what I'm going to do with it. To trust in the abundance of what God is doing, first, by recognizing it, two, being grateful for it, and three, being okay to part ways with the abundance. If we as lobstermen can understand the value of one lobster does not equal the value of having anywhere from 8,000 to 100,000 eggs on that tail, that the chances of having more than two lobsters come off of that tail is much greater than the one lobster in hand right now. And in doing that, it's ensuring not only their future career, but potentially future people who are wanting to get into the industry. That's forward thinking. That's being a person, recognizing the abundance, recognizing what I am giving up isn't really worth that much, and recognizing that that is more valuable. In our world today, I find it very refreshing to find something like that because I think in a lot of ways we aren't that way. That is not our trained nature. We are not like a strawberry with hundreds of seeds on the outside. We're not like a tomato that has multiple seeds and just being willing and able to, yep, we might lose some along the way to predators or whatever, but hopefully we're able to get one of these seeds out of one of these tomatoes to grow another plant. One of these seeds from one of these strawberries to grow another plant. Abundance is all around us. And the question is, is are we willing and able to see it? And once we see it and acknowledge it, what are we going to do about it? So the question I have for you this week is, where are you seeing abundance? And what are you going to do with that abundance? Where are you seeing abundance? And what are you going to do with that abundance? This is something that I think is hard for us to acknowledge, to recognize, to think about. But I think it's one of the things that we need to work on. There are people who need our abundance. There is parts of creation that needs our abundance. And in doing that, we might find the abundance coming from something else that we didn't expect. Something that we weren't seeing that we were deprived of or low on that we were needing. Especially being in the United States, I think this is a text that We as people have so much and we don't recognize how much we really have. And that's hard for us to grapple with, to work with at times. But it's acknowledging that and working through that and acknowledging and trusting in that, that God is going to work and do amazing things in that. And that's going to take some work and that's going to mean letting go at times and letting God be God. Like the Psalms are talking about That God is going to be there to answer our prayers, but there's also times that we just need to trust this person, trust God, that God has created things and knows what God is doing. We struggle with that. But I think part of it is is us then needing to acknowledge that we're human. Acknowledge that it's sometimes hard for us to share, even when there's 5,000 people there. But sometimes all it takes is one to show that that caring can transcend so many additional things. 
as we are entering into a world that is crazier by the minute in so many different ways, environmentally, socially, economically, we are going to have to recognize where we have abundance and be okay with trusting and letting it go to help in so many different ways if we're going to get through a lot of the issues that we're going to be dealing with. But in doing that, I think that there might be a freedom or something, a love that we haven't experienced very often coming from that that might be worth, in quotes, all that and more than what we initially gave. And in doing that, maybe that's part of what will come back toward us when we recognize that we were low on something. So we'll wrap this up as we always do. I pray God blesses you through your faith and amazes you through science.